Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Opus Wealth Style Podcast. We're here for episode two, or part two, I should say, um, of our conversation with Bobby Samuelson. Bobby, again, thanks so much for, for being on the podcast today. We wanted to kind of shift gears from our conversation in part one around whole life insurance and permanent coverage to um, sort of one of the more popular products in the insurance space that we've seen pop up over the, I don't know, I, I would say for me at least, last seven or eight years around index universal life insurance. I find it to be one of the most misunderstood and, and I don't know, sort of advertised ones in the social media space these days. So before we start, you know, can you just explain to the audience a little bit about what IUL is, how it works, kind of why do you think it's been so popular? And we can dive into a little bit more about the actual utility of it in a minute. Yeah, it is. It's amazing to me how social media has turned this thing from into this phenomenon almost um so you're starting the right place which is look how does this thing actually work and i think there is there's this huge gap between how it actually works and how people are describing it yeah and that's trouble no matter what anything we're talking about if someone's describing it one way and it's actually working another way that's that's a problem we have seen that happen a lot of times in the insurance world back over the years where insurance is portrayed a certain way and then it actually works a different way and what you always end up with is you know our class action lawsuits very disappointing clients and sort of this wreckage of destruction. And so in, in my mind, you know, if you're, if you're pitching insurance, you need to make sure your descriptions are very, very close to how the policy actually works. Like those yeah. two things should be very much lined up. Uh, and look, it's not whole life. There are people who sell it this way when it actually works this way. I mean, you see this everywhere, but I think with IUL, the gap is probably the biggest. So let me just sort of explain it back from the basics. So every permanent life insurance product, like we said in the last episode or last, last part, Every permanent life insurance policy works the same way. Premium in, charges out, whatever's left over is invested, and the carrier credits you interest on that, and that creates your cash value. And ultimately, your cash value goes to support your death benefit. So that's every permanent life insurance policy works that way. With whole life, you know, you're paying premium, you've got policy charges, carrier invests the money, you're a participating policyholder, so you know that money's going to come back to you in the form of a dividend, that creates cash value. With universal life, which is a flexible premium product. So you can decide to pay whatever you want, right? As long as the cash value is greater than zero, that policy stays in force. So whole life, you have to pay the premium to keep it in force. With UL, you can pick whatever premium you want. You can shoot yourself in the foot if you want to and only fund the policy for 10 years, or you can keep it for your whole life, however you want to do it. Same deal, premium in, charges out, whatever's left over earns interest, you get cash value. With, uh, with variable UL, which I own, big fan of this product category, Pay premium, charges come out, you invest the money in and in, in funds, mutual funds. Mutual funds have investment gains and losses. Yep. That creates cash value, policy stays in force. So what's indexed UL? Well, all indexed UL is, is a permanent policy. That's a flexible premium contract where you pay premium, charges come out, 
But instead of the carrier crediting you interest, they take the interest that they would have credited you in a universal life policy. They go to investment banks, they buy options. So these are equity options you know, on the S&P 500 index strategies, okay? They take the earnings from the options, they pay it to you in the form of index credits, and that's what you earn on your cash value. So at its heart, and I think this is where a lot of the confusion comes in with index UL, at its heart, this is an options product. And here's the problem. Very, very, very few retail investors understand options. Yep. Very, very few actuaries and insurance companies mm. understand options. The options world is its own very weird sort of bizarre place. And so what, what I think we've seen in the last few years, and the reason why the gap is so big between how the product is described and how it actually works is because this is actually an options strategy and options, uh, which are a way to get exposure to equities without actually buying the equities, you can make any kind of crazy optical illusion with options that you want to. And so the way index deal is typically pitched is this idea that you can get uh, you know, exposure to the market without actually investing in the market where you have guaranteed downside protection. So you can't get a negative credit. You can only get positive credits up to a certain limit and the carrier can change that limit at will. They call it a cap. So you have a floor of zero and a cap that, that moves around at the carrier's discretion. And the way the cap moves is as the price of options changed and the price of options changed every second, yep. that will change what the carrier can offer you in terms of your cap. And so, and so you have people out there basically saying you can get equity returns with no risk. And that's what you see in social media is you get yep. downside protection with upside potential, exposure to the S&P 500 with no risk and historical performance of 8%. Even though this product hasn't been around long enough to actually have any historical performance, they're using hypothetical back-tested performance, basically saying, had we done this strategy since the 1950s, you would have earned 8%. And, and so that's the way, that's kind of the way it gets pitched. And so it gets pitched as a product that has the safety of whole life with the upside of the UL, yep. right? This kind of magical, magical products. Um, so here's my, here's, my, here's my joke on that. So I'm a car guy. All, all things go back to cars at some point for me. And so imagine you go to the dealership and someone says, let me show you a picture of this car. You're not going to believe this car. All right. This is a car that drives like a Ferrari. All right. And it tows and, and hauls like a, like an F-250. All right. So this thing, this, this has got it all right. Drives like a Ferrari, hauls like an F-250. What's not to love? And customers, says, God, it's so great. This is, so, this is awesome. I don't even need to see it. I'm just going to sign right here. You told me about it. You said it drives like a Ferrari, hauls like an empty 50. I'm in. Sign the contract. They hand you the keys. You go outside, and it's a Chevy. It's a Chevy El Camino sitting there. Okay, well, that doesn't that doesn't drive like a Ferrari, and it doesn't haul like an F250. All right. If you want a Ferrari, you got to buy a Ferrari. And if you want an F250, you got to buy an F250. An El Camino is a is a sham substitute for those two things. If you don't so, know what an El Camino that, is, look it up. It's a, yeah. It's yeah. A good one. <laughs> part, part car, part truck doesn't do the yeah. particularly well. Okay. Yeah. Right. But here's the thing. There's a natural market for El Caminos. El Caminos were popular. I would argue that I drive the modern equivalent of an El Camino. I have a Rivian, which is an EV that goes zero to 60 in three seconds, but it's, yeah. it'll never haul like an F-250. Okay. So, so there's a real market here for this kind of in-between solution. And this idea of downside protection, upside potential has real applicability but don't mischaracterize it. It is not as safe as a whole life policy. You can still lose money in an IUL. Yep. Every time you get a 0% credit, your policy values actually go down because of policy charges. And it'll never perform on the upside like a VUL where you can actually buy mutual funds because you're capped out. And over the last 10 years, we've seen caps come down like crazy to where policies that had 17% caps in 2009 currently have 7.25% caps. 
that completely but, changes the risk profile of the product. That, that's yeah, a, that's those a illustrate very a little low, differently. What'd you say? I said, I bet those illustrate a little differently. Now. Oh yeah. It's carnage right now, honestly. And so, um, so yeah, so that's the, so that's the, that's the dynamic on IUL again. I think social media has gone crazy over it because they think it gives you equity performance with no risk. Oh, and by the way, you don't have to be a registered rep to sell it. So, you know, for customers who don't know, you've got to have certain licenses if you want to sell mutual funds or, or registered products like variable annuities or variable life insurance. If you're just an insurance licensed agent, you can sell indexed UL and market it. You're not supposed to, but everybody does. You market it as a way to get access to equities. Of course, that's not actually what's going on, right? You're buying the insurance company's general account. They are buying options. They're not even buying the equities. They're buying options. And then passing some of that return, hopefully all of it, back to you in the form, in the form of these index credits. Yep. Um, so it, that's why I think the gap is so big on IUL between, again, like imagine the description of an El Camino and then imagine actually seeing an El Camino. You, you, the gap could be very big. And I think that's kind of what's going on. And when you've when you've looked at the illustrations, right? So one of the issues that we've seen in sort of the marketplace is how the product has been illustrated, right? Or how the, you know, the, the insurance companies are able to illustrate the products. And then actually what we've seen come to fruition are sort of almost like oceans apart, I feel like. So, you know, can you just talk a little bit about that? I know it might, it might be getting a little bit technical, but I think for the listening audience, it's important to, part of this is important to just understand what is being discussed and then what the reality might actually look like. Yeah. So the main thing, you know, again, take a step back. What is a life insurance illustration? Why do they exist? So we're a little bit unique in that because we're selling these long-term contracts, people need to understand what they're buying and the benefits they're getting. And so it's hard to explain the benefit of a whole of a whole life policy or UL or an IUL or VUL without being able to say, hey, if you pay this premium, you know, here's what happens over time in terms of the mechanics of the policy. Again, premium paid, charges come out, credits come in, you have cash value, cash value needs to support the death benefit. So every year you have this, every month really, you have this interaction of premiums being paid, if so, charges coming out, credits coming in, and you need to kind of demonstrate to people this is how this thing actually works over the next 20, 30, 40 years. So an illustration is designed to explain to a customer how an insurance policy works. That is what an, that's what an illustration is for. The problem is you put an illustration down in, some, in front of someone without, without telling them that that's what this is for. And what it looks like instead is a projection of future values. So you see these values going out for the next 40 years. And so the way a lot of agents position this is they say, look at the illustration. These are the projected values. No, 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 no. These are not projected values. This is a demonstration of how it works. Mm -hmm. The chance of you getting this illustration is literally zero. Okay, there's no way that this is actually what's going to happen to your policy because interest rates are going to move around. All sorts of stuff's going to change. So first of all, this, at, the, at the heart of it is the misuse of illustrations and agents using illustrations as financial projections, which is completely inappropriate. There's been all sorts of actuarial task force put together on this, talking about how inappropriate this is. The problem is carriers are addicted to it because they, if you can show a good enough illustration, then you can sell a lot of life insurance because clients get really excited about the idea of earning six, seven, eight percent on a product, even though that was never the intent of the illustration. That's not actually what's going to happen. It's just that that's the way the illustration works. So every every policy has its own kind of illustration mechanisms. IUL is completely different. I actually wrote helped help draft the IUL regulation for illustrations. It's been through three rounds now because carriers keep finding loopholes in it that make their products illustrate better. But basically what, what separates IUL from like a whole life policy is in whole life, if you if you illustrate a whole life policy, you have to use the current dividend interest rate. So Guardian declares a dividend interest rate 
that is what they use to show the illustration, the values on the illustration. Yep. Not a projection, but, a, but it's a demonstration. Now, what's true about that is that if Guardian never changed the dividend interest rate, then that illustration would exactly match what the client gets. But Guardian is, of course, going to change the dividend interest rate, and you want them to over time in order to reflect what their earnings are on their portfolio. Okay, With IUL, because there's no crediting rate, because they don't credit any fixed interest like you do in a, in a whole life or UL policy, they had this index interest. They had to come up with another way to illustrate it. And so basically what they said was, okay, well, we've got this floor in this cap. Let's take that floor in the cap and apply it to historical equity return data. So we're going to apply it on the S&P 500. Let's say we'll apply it to the S&P 500 going back 66 years. And there's a whole reason why it's 66 years, but, but basically mm -hmm. back 66 years. So if you've got a 0% floor and a 10% cap, we're basically just going to assume that you had owned the, this IUL since 1955 or so, or 1958 or so these days with a 0% floor and a 10% cap. And we're going to take the average of all those returns. And that's how we're going to illustrate the policy. So we're not going to illustrate, even if the carrier is, let's say it costs the carrier 5% to buy that 10% cap. That's what they're actually spending with the investment banks to buy the option. They're not going to illustrate it at 5%. They're going to illustrate it at six and a half percent or 6.2 percent or six percent based on what that cap looked like if you'd applied it back to historical data. And so that that's the difference. And so what always happens is IUL, as a result, always illustrates more aggressively than a an identical, otherwise identical universal life policy. The only difference between those two is the carrier pays the interest directly to the policyholder in the form of a UL. And with IUL, they pay the, the interest to the investment bank and then credit the indexed interest to the policy. From a carrier standpoint, these two things are exactly the same, but they illustrate completely differently. And one illustrates much better than the other, which is part of the reason why it's been such a high growth part of the insurance business and why it's become yeah. so popular is because it illustrates so well. Gotcha. And, and so if you were if you were a consumer, right, and you were considering IUL, and again, I'm not saying that it doesn't fit some need, right? There's always a product that fits for some particular person, right? So if you were considering IUL, what are the illustrations or the iterations or the options that you would want to have the, the insurance broker show you to evaluate the contract? Yeah, so first thing is, good rule of thumb is run it at about 70% of the maximum rate. So if they're showing you six, ask for four and a half or something somewhere around there. Always run it lower. Remember, these are, I'd say to any client, these are not projections. These are demonstrations. Yep. And so you should ask for as many illustrations as you want to understand what happens in different scenarios based on, again, the same math, premium in, charges out, interest credits, cash value. So if you have less interest credits and you have premium and policy charges, that, that cash value may lapse earlier and you want to know that. So run it at lower illustrated rates. That's kind of number one. And so honestly, if, if here's, here's, the, here's the simple kind of Occam's razor, you know, sort of approach here. If you're willing to buy it, because it, if you're willing to buy it when it illustrates at four and a half percent, you're probably safe. If you only want it when you illustrate it at 6%, you got a problem. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's going to become an issue. And here, here's the basic math, right? So think about this idea of taking the cap and applying it to historical equity data. Well, when you do that, you make you make several assumptions. Uh, one assumption is the cap never changes and the cap will change. Yep. Cap will change a lot more than a dividend will change in a whole life policy because a DIR is set annually. Okay. A crediting rate in a UL is usually set annually because portfolio rates of life insurance companies are slow to move. Like interest rates have come up a lot. 
portfolio rates at insurance companies have not come up as much because they've got old bonds blending with new bond, yep. new bonds. In the long run, it's all going to wash out, but in the short run, they're you know they're slow to move. Options change all the time, and option prices have actually been going up a lot, which has been pushing cap prices or caps down. That's what you would expect. In fact, I mean, every month the carrier, when they sweep the all these policies use monthly sweep dates, so they roll money into the index strategies every month on the fifteenth of the month. Every month you should see a different cap because market prices for options are, are moving around. So number one is you're assuming the cap never changes. We know the cap's going to change. We know the cap's probably going to come down from where it has been, could go up, you know, whatever, we'll have to see how it goes. But but, but in the past 10 years, it's come down precipitously. So first of all, if you run it at the maximum rate and you don't ask any questions, you're assuming the cap never changes. You're assuming that future equity performance is the same as past equity performance. So here's how I'd phrase this to a client. When you run an IUL at the maximum illustrated rate, you are not only assuming the cap never changes, but you are also assuming that future equity returns have the same exact profile as past equity returns. Mm -hmm. So the same average return and the same way that they get to the average return. So what we've seen in the last 50 years is lots of gradual ups, sharp downs, lots of gradual ups, sharp downs. That's exactly what you want for an IUL because it's one year of a zero and a bunch of years of positive credits. If you have a different return pattern, even if you have the same average, it's gonna be a different result. So here's a question I always ask, right? What what do you use in your kind of financial planning for long-term equity returns, right? What, how do you, what, as a client, what, what do you think is reasonable? Or as an advisor considering IUL, what do you think is reasonable? Usually I hear numbers, you know, 4% on the low end, 6%, 8%, maybe a 10% yep. every now and then. But typically I'm sure you guys are in the same boat. Somewhere mm -hmm. between six and eight, somewhere on there, okay. If you go back and look historically at average S&P 500 returns in this sample period, the average return with dividends is 12.5%. So if you run that IUL at the maximum illustrated rate, that is the same thing as assuming a 12.5% return in your equity allocation elsewhere in your financial plan. So if you're not comfortable running 12.5% returns in your other, financial par other parts of your financial plan, then you can't run this IUL at the maximum illustrated rate because it uses historical data that would tell you that you should do your plan at 12.5% and you've decided that's too high. So you need to adjust your IUL rate down right. in the same way that you adjust your, does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, so the other piece of that is uh, back to the El Camino analogy. If you really think equities are going to do 12.5%, you don't want to be an IUL. You want to buy a VUL yep. where you can actually invest in equities. So again, if you really think that's what's going to happen, you would never buy this product. All right. And the last piece, which I think is also really important, so again, the maximum rate, which is what most people on social media show, assumes cap never changes, assumes equity returns of let's say 12.5%, and they assume the maximum rate is based on the average of all these 25-year periods within that 65, 66 years. The average. So what that means is about half the time, it's not quite exact, but about half the time you would have done better and about half the time you would have done worse. So the question I ask clients is, uh, and again, I don't sell insurance. So when I say clients, I mean like people who find me on the internet and they want to know what to do with their IUL policy. Sure. I say, look, what is your percentage? What is your acceptable percentage chance of failure? How much risk? Like, what is your acceptable percentage chance of failure? And they always give me the same answer. And what do you think that answer is? Zero or zero. zero. Yeah. Okay. So right now, your illustrated rate, Mr. Client, is calibrated to a 50 50 chance of failure. Assuming 12.5% returns yep. and assuming caps never change. That's where you are right now. So if you're telling me that you have a 0% chance of failure, well, then I've got to illustrate a much lower illustrated rate. I've got to illustrate 4%, a 3.5%, or 
or whatever it is to make sure that no matter what happens in the equity markets, you are going to end up on the right side of that trade. And so you've got to, you've got to lower that illustrated rate down. By the time you're done doing that, putting that level of conservatism in, again, going back to the El Camino analogy, right? You would have rather had a whole life policy. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that's the, that's the weird kind of psychology of IUL is there's a real intuitive appeal to downside protection, upside potential. Of course. But if you actually go through the belief structures of what it takes to think that IUL is a better solution than, for example, what I have, which is whole life for stability and VUL for upside, it's kind of a weird fit. I think there is a place. I think there are some clients who want it all in one package. Um, my VUL, for example, has indexed accounts in it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great solution for me in certain situations, if that's what I want to use. Like, There's a real role here. But if you just think long-term and long-term belief structures, most people are going to end up kind of saying, I really believe in equities. I want to go VUL. Or I'm using this for safety, stability, fixed income alternative conservatism, right? Protect families, preserve capital, provide stability. Whole life does that better than IUL. Yep. And, and, and in, that, in, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, it, it was, you know, I, the, the last part of it for me, you know, when I think about VUL or I think about whole life insurance around the premiums, right? Like you have to input money into these policies, but what happens right. if you miss one in an IUL, right? What happens if the market's not doing so well? And listen, Bobby, or, you know, Evan, hey, listen, I, I can't fund my premium for six months or a year. Yep. How does that impact it, right? And I don't so that's, think, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's actually a spot where a lot of IUL promoters will rightly say that IUL is more flexible than whole life. So with whole life, that premium has to get paid. Now, yep. that's that's the high level talking point. We all know in the space that, that if you've got a whole life policy and your premium is $10,000 a year and you have $100,000 of cash value and you don't pay a premium, you can withdraw from the policy to pay the premium. You can borrow money from the policy to pay the premium. You can use dividends to pay the premium if your dividends are big enough. You actually have a lot of flexibility, but that premium has to be paid. With IUL, they don't care how much money. I mean, it's a flexible premium. So if you skip a premium, you know, you think back to the original mechanics here, premium in, charges out, earns interest, cash value. We're just taking away the first part of that, which means you've got cash value that's here minus charges plus interest equals cash value at the end of the year. Yep. And so so in some ways it's actually, I would say IUL is more flexible from a top line standpoint than whole life. But a lot of people, again, IUL promoters will say, oh, well, that's why you don't want to have whole life. Well, wait a second. Whole life is 95% as flexible as IUL as long as you've built up cash value and whole life naturally always builds up cash value because that's the premium it's set to build up cash value. And so I think that's kind of one of the knocks on whole life that I don't think is very fair. I think there are some situations where that flexibility of IUL really shows, but I don't think, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's a reason to choose IUL over whole life. If you understand the flexibility in whole life, the two are very comparable as long as you know how to use it. Yeah. You know, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, are there any things in particular that you, that are consistent parts of your conversation around IUL that you really want to make sure that the kind of listening audience takes away if, and when they come across it? Yeah, I just, I think the main thing is if it looks too good to be true, it probably is. And again, I mean, I can describe to you what an El Camino sounds like in theory. And, and then I can now, you know, we're 15 years really into the rise of IUL. And I can tell you what an El Camino actually looks like in practice. And, and by the way, some IULs have performed incredibly well. So I want to be clear about that too. Yep. Think about the last 15 years. Equity returns up until last year were phenomenal. 14% price returns, 16% total returns since 2009. Caps and IUL were very high back then. 
14, 15% caps were, were the norm. So I've seen plenty of Iowa policies in the last 10 years have done seven or 8%. Yep. Think about what had to happen for them to earn seven or 8%. They've got caps that were 15% and the, and, and the equity market was ripping at 14% price returns. Unless you think that's going to happen in the future, you're not going to see the stuff in the past. So I think a lot of IUL promoters are out there saying, yeah, but IUL has been so successful for the last 10 years. And, you know, my joke is, yeah, but we've been in the honeymoon phase. You know, these are 50 year contracts and you got a great first 10 years. That's like getting married and going on your honeymoon and saying, well, we're set for life. You know, you're about, <laughs> you're about to go home and, and she's going to hate that you put the dirty socks on the floor. I mean, that's that's this is this is the real world now. OK, mm-hmm. and I think that's where I think that's where IUL sort of is in its life cycle is it's really actually under a lot of pressure. And so, but, but a lot of people are still promoting it as a sort of magical be all end all product. If it looks too good to be true, it probably is. And again, that El Camino thing, I really think it's a funny joke, but it's a real, it's an mm-hmm. actually a really good analogy, which is what are you trying to do? If you want upside, go VUL. If you want downside protection, go whole life. Yep. If you want something in between in a package, IUL can be an option, but if you can get an indexed account in a VUL policy, or even like what Guardian has an indexed account in a whole life contract, why do you need a standalone IUL? So you lock yourself in. So anyway, that's what I would tell people is just, is just be skeptical. Um, I said it on the end of the whole life podcast, you know, that the, that the, you know, the last conversation we had, the more you dig into whole life, the more you're going to believe in the structure. I think the opposite might actually be true for IUL. The, the more you dig in, the more you realize um, not that it doesn't have value, not that it doesn't have a place, but that it's not what it's being promoted as. Yeah. And so, and so if you see one and you, and you have the license to dig in, you have the license to ask questions, you have the license to push and to understand and don't buy anything you can't understand. Yeah. And, and really understanding any well is actually tough. It's a lot harder than understanding whole life. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't feel like you fully get it, don't, don't, please don't do it. Yeah. Listen, this has been incredibly valuable. Um, Bobby, we really, really appreciate the time where if the listening audience wanted to find out more about you or to follow, you know, the, the 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 consulting work that you're doing where can they find out you know more about yes. you yes i mostly work with insurance professionals every i probably once a month get somebody <laughs> online who finds me randomly uh, but i do have kind of a standing offer for for any sort of non-insurance person so i write a newsletter called the life product review it's a technical newsletter for insurance professionals it is not for consumers but i've probably got 50 consumers that that, that subscribe to it and i give free subscriptions to consumers so if you're a an attorney even or a cpa or whoever, right? Or even just a you know, person who runs a manufacturing business and you want to know more about life insurance, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Heaven help you. You're going to hate it before too long because it's a lot of <laughs> industry stuff. But I Love think, it. but it is, you know, it is really the only independent publication in the life insurance world covering life insurance product. Um, it's called the Life Product Review. Uh, there's a little info thing. If you want to drop your name in there, that's how I usually get people asking for, for subscriptions or obviously Yvonne, they can, they can email you and um and you can send them my way so awesome awesome well bobby again we really really appreciate you coming on uh this has been incredibly valuable for us i know the listening audience loves it and um and to you the listening audience thanks for tuning in we'll be sure to to click subscribe below to be notified when our next podcast episode comes out but again bobby we really appreciate you thank you for listening to the wealth style podcast Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with 
or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, and opinions stated are their own. Life insurance is intended to provide death benefit protection for an individual's entire life. Life insurance should be considered first and foremost for its long-term death benefit value. An indexed universal life IUL policy is not considered a security. Premium and death benefit types are flexible. Its crediting rate is based on the performance of a stock index with a cap rate, i.e. 10%, a floor, i.e. 0%, and a participation rate, i.e. 100%. This type of universal life policy may lapse due to low or negative performance of the stock index, inadequate funding, and increasing cost of insurance rates. Universal life insurance may lapse prematurely due to inadequate funding, low or no premium, increase in cost of insurance rates as the insured grows older, and a low interest crediting rate. This does not apply to universal life policies which have a secondary guarantee, but if the secondary guaranteed requirements are not met, the policy will most likely lapse. Floor rates vary between individual life insurance carriers and are typically guaranteed between 0% and 2%. Current cap rates vary between individual life insurance carriers and can be as high as 11% or as low as 6%. Hypothetical examples are not intended to suggest a particular course of action or represent the performance of any financial product or security. Yvonne Watanabe and Evan Wool are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Evans' California Insurance License Number 0H04936. Compliance Approval 2023-164823 expires November 2025.